0: Welcome to the How Not to Screw Up Your Kids podcast. So, pour yourself a cuppa, find a comfy seat, and enjoy the conversation. This is episode 57, and today is the first of two episodes on eating disorders. Now, before we start, I want to be super clear about my level of expertise in this area and how I might typically get involved. I'm not an eating disorder expert, I work with children and their families where they're struggling with confidence and anxiety. I have and continue to work with teens who have a diagnosed eating disorder as part of, I guess, what we call a multidisciplinary team. So what that means is that there are a number of professionals that would work together in terms of supporting that individual. So there might be someone that is focused specifically on food. Another might be dealing with medication and yet another might be working on disordered patterns of thinking. My role and where I feel that I am most effective it is around tackling self-belief and confidence, those aspects of an eating disorder, which in my view are the aspects which are often the catalyst to eating disorders. And we're gonna have more on that later in this episode because the whole idea here is, in this particular episode, we're going to do two, really it's what are the early warning signs what might be the things that we ought to be looking out for so let's start first with talking a little bit about what eating disorders are how prevalent are they and when we should be worried now i've looked at the dictionary the dictionary definition states an eating disorder is any range of psychological disorders characterized by abnormal or disturbed eating habits for example anorexia nervosa The UK National Health Service states it is a mental health condition where you use the control of food to cope with feelings and other situations. Unhealthy eating behaviours may include eating too much or too little or worrying about your weight or your body shape. Now, anyone can get an eating disorder, but teenagers are typically the most effective between the age of 13 and 17. So it is estimated that in the UK there are 1.25 million people who have an eating disorder. Now this is people so this isn't just children, we're talking adults too. And this is data from BEAT eating disorders and we will share the link because they have some phenomenal resources for those of you who may be thinking I'm concerned about my child. Now it's really difficult to get the actual numbers but it's estimated That the following numbers have either anorexia nervosa, bulimia, or other stated eating disorders. So, between five, so children aged between five and ten, females, it affects about 0.2% of all females within that age group. So, it's over 4,000. And in males, it affects 0.5%, and that's just over 22,000. So, that's five to 10 year olds. You'll notice that there is then becomes a significant increase. 11 to 24 year olds, females it affects 3.67% of females in that age bracket and males it then affects 1.2%. Now whilst we typically think about eating disorders as anorexia Nervosa, which is characterised, I guess, typically from what we might think of from a food perspective as severe restriction in food intake and being the individual being below their typical weight for their age. Whilst bulimia from a food perspective, again, is typically characterised by binging and purging. So eating lots of food in a short space of time and then purging that food either through heavy use of laxatives or being sick. My view on eating disorders is any child who has an unhealthy relationship with food and uses it to control their emotions and the challenges that they are currently facing pretty much in the same way as the UK National Health Service defines it. So for me, when we're talking about what are the early warning signs, I'm not talking exclusively around anorexia or bulimia I'm talking about an unhealthy relationship with food where food is used as a mechanism to control challenges or used as a mechanism to control emotions. Now I'm not going to go into detail about each different type of eating disorder because we're going to be sharing the links to BEATS. So beat eating disorders which do a phenomenal job so you can actually look at what are the differences in the different types of eating disorders and how they might be typically characterised. So we'll be sharing that in this week's resource. If you feel as a parent you need to know more. In this episode really what I want to focus in on is talking about some of the warning signs which may mean your, your child is showing some of the early warning signs but may not hasn't yet necessarily tipped over and it's become a disorder and you can make some changes you can be impactful and also for those of you who might be worried that your child is already exhibiting these behaviors and you will be also help you with that and then in the next episode that will be coming through part two, I'm going to be tackling, how do we have some of those difficult conversations? How do we begin that? Either because we've got concerns that our child, having listened to this, has got an eating disorder, has an unhealthy relationship with food, is using it as a mechanism to control feelings and overcome specific challenges. So we're going to be talking about that, but I'm also going to be taking any questions. So this is really, really important. If, as a result of listening to this podcast episode, you have some very specific questions that you would like me to tackle in episode two. I have not yet recorded that specifically because I wanted to leave space not only to talk about how we tackle it from a difficult conversation point of view, but also to take into account your Um, your questions and it may well be that there's some aspects that I haven't covered and you want me to cover that or you've got more questions so please please do send those in and you send those in to contact at drmaryhand.com and we'll make sure that we include those and I will cover those specifically in part two so if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking "Mm, I don't think my child has a great relationship with food but I'm not really sure whether this is now an eating disorder or if it's something that I need to have a conversation around these I've got seven things. There's there's a few more than I than my normal top five tips. And these are not necessarily tips, these are things that we want to kind of look out for. The first one is just how confident is your child? How much of their self belief do they have? Are they a child that is they find new situations particularly difficult, are they overly self-critical of themselves, do they have very little self-belief, do they feel, do they often talk about finding things particularly difficult. Now that doesn't mean if you've got a child who isn't particularly confident that that is necessarily going to mean that they're going to struggle with their relationship with food but it is one of a combination of markers that might have an impact. So really it's thinking about, do I have a child here who isn't feeling very confident? And that confident might be around their capabilities in social situations or in life generally, but it could be around academic. It could be around how they look, but it's that confidence around who they are. So when I think about confidence, confidence isn't an extrovert, it isn't the loud person, it isn't the person who is swinging from the chandeliers and making a grand entrance and is the most popular. Confidence is really just having that inner belief that fundamentally you're a good person, that you're lovable, that you're worthwhile to be friends with, that you're capable to a certain level. It's not believing that you are the best but an inner self-belief. So if your child is lacking in confidence then and often self critical about the person that they are, and potentially uses a lot of language around attributing things to them. So, I listened to a phenomenal talk by Brene Brown very recently, and she talks about the connection between guilt and shame. So, when I'm talking about confidence here, it, there's a link here to this notion of shame and guilt. So, if we do something that we're not necessarily pleased with ourselves for doing, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is about recognising that, oh, I did something really dumb in that situation. Oh, so ridiculous. Why did I, you know, I've not done well in my test because I just, I foolishly chose not to revise. So there's an element of guilt, of regret, but it's very situational. The difference here between guilt and shame is that we are the failure. So it's, it's that difference of rather than attributing the mess up to the situation, and it being that very specific to that, it's that we're not good enough, is that we are dumb, stupid, idiotic, whatever it is that, that we, or I, I'm unlovable. So it's being able to, that's a really key distinction when we're talking about confidence, is where there's, con, where there's more of a concern around potentially it impacting mental health later, is if you have a child where there is lots of shame, so it tends to be attributed to them as an individual rather than them in that, that it's that particular, that it's, you know, the choice that they made or something very specific within that situation. So that's the first one. Um, and these are not in any specific order, It not Because if you've got that, that means, you know, that's it. They're going to have issues, but that's that's one of them. The second one is very much around, Are is your child very secretive about their food consumption? So this might be taking things specifically into their room. So they may eat meals with you, but you find that there are lots of packets of things in bedrooms. And so they're very secretive about that. Or it could be that you have a child who finds it really difficult to eat publicly. So they don't like other people to see them eating. So where there's an element of secretiveness, either around the quantity that they consume or the process of eating a meal, is something that they find quite difficult, so they prefer much more to be reclusive, not part of the table, not eating together, find it really filled with anxiety about sitting at a table with other people, or even eating in, in public settings, then that again could be a warning sign of their relationship with food and again that doesn't necessarily mean doesn't necessarily signpost one specific eating disorder but being secretive about your food consumption and about being able to eat with others may be an indicator that your relationship with food that your child's relationship with food may be not a healthy one so certainly questions around how confident your child is how secretive they could be they are around their food consumption the third one is around this notion of perfectionism. So, and it links in some ways to this confidence and this notion of, of guilt and shame, but do you have a child, because this leads back to this whole notion of control, you know, we talk about this definition of what an eating disorder is, about using food as a mechanism of control. Perfectionism comes from that space of feeling that you have, things have to be done in a particular way. There needs to be an element of control about how things are. So do you have a child where for example, everything has to be done to a certain standard. This might be a child that might have almost rip up their homework and redo it because it's either not neat enough, or it might be that it's not done to a particular standard. They have very high expectations of themselves. Things have to be done in a particular way, otherwise it's not good enough. They're always striving for the next level and the next level, and if it isn't good enough then they failed now perfectionism doesn't necessarily mean that you have to ha- that that your child is uber high achieving they can be but perfectionism is about feeling that you're you've not done enough unless you've met a created aspirational goal and this is a created aspirational goal that isn't set by school or by parameters of friends or by parameters with you at home but is much more to do with a benchmark a bar that your child has created and has set for, set for themselves that they cannot fall below that so that they are caught up in that and that perfectionism has been shown to be a very strong link with this notion around control and so what can then happen is the food then also becomes a mechanism and actually what I probably should have stated earlier on is that quite often when we look at around eating disorders we often think that It starts from a need to really very much focused around weight, but actually quite often, really, it's a mechanism of control, which is why I like the definition around the food and it being a control mechanism to manage emotions. It isn't the food becomes a mechanism to control. It isn't actually fundamentally around weight in all cases of eating disorders and certainly not necessarily in a lot of the eating disorders that we tend to think about it tends to be I'm in a situation where I feel out of control I don't feel confident and capable to deal with this I don't believe that I'm good enough and so I need to find another mechanism to control all of this stuff that is going on and then food just happens to become that control mechanism And it's the same when we have children who overeat. So it is this this notion that food is simply a mechanism that is used for control and is not necessarily what the disordered thinking is about traditionally. So how confident are they? Are they secretive about their food consumption? Are they perfectionism in terms of the way that they, the benchmark that they set for themselves and anything below that isn't good enough? Do you have a child who is anxious? So eating disorders are a type of anxiety disorder. So it comes from this notion of feeling overwhelmed, feeling incapable or unable to manage specific situations and having that typical stress response. So have you got a child who generally is a bit of a worrier, that they worry about lots of things maybe, or very specific things, or that they're in a situation where they feel quite stressed and overwhelmed and therefore they potentially food might then become a mechanism that they use to control. So it's really thinking and looking at the environment that your child is in. Now, what we must remember here is that every single child will worry at some point. Every single child will get stressed at some point. Every teen will get stressed at some point. They have exams and really important aspects of transitioning in schools that happen around the times that we typically begin to see eating disorders. So these are normal things. So if your child is doing that, doesn't necessarily mean that they're then going to have this disordered relationship with food. But it's when we look at cumulative multiple factors that are then impacting, is that there are then potential signs that they could develop these relationships. And of course, we can look at ways of tackling this and that'll be in part two. But this is really about giving you some of those early warning signs so that we can begin to have those conversations about healthy relationships with food, healthy mechanisms for dealing with stress and overwhelm communicating about how we're feeling, looking at our own toolkit, managing that confidence, understanding who we are as an individual, what our qualities are, reaffirming who we are as an individual and those positive aspects of ourselves. This is simply what are the signs and then what can we put in place. So if you have a child who's either going through a specific period of time where they're stressed or they're someone that you know is naturally worry about lots of things then this could also be an indication along with other things the fifth one is about being overly worried about the way they look and what does overly worried mean well i guess overly worried would be that it takes up a lot of their conversation about themselves and that that conversation isn't necessarily about what they're going to wear or how they're going to have the hair or all of these other bits but that the the words that come out of their mouth, the narrative, the comments tend to be very critical. So they may be overly worried about how their hair looks, for example, but it rather than being able to just see it as a commentary about, you know, they're worried about what their hair looks like in a plait or how their hair looks down, is they become, there's a lot of narrative around it. They talk about it a lot and they talk about it being in a very critical way. They might worry about the way that they look and they might talk about aspects of their body that they don't like and that that may then become something that maybe they dress in a particular way because they want to hide aspects of that so maybe they worry about their thighs they think their thighs are too big and therefore they wear only certain types of clothes because they're worried about how that looks so they might not wear shorts or they might not wear a short skirt or they may not wear you know it's it's be all those aspects of their certain aspects of their body that they don't like that they may not then exposed so it's not just a commentary it becomes not obsessive but it becomes something that they talk about a lot and that the commentary that they make about those aspects of their body is particularly pronounced so it tends to happen often so how confident is your child are they secretive about their food consumption are they perfectionists? have they set themselves a benchmark Are they anxious? Do they worry about things or are they currently going through a particular period of time where they're very stressed or are they a child that just naturally feels particularly stressed? Are they overly worried about the way they look in terms of the dialogue and the narrative and the commentary that you find them saying? And number six is do they use critical language a lot? So this goes back to being mindful of some of the commentary that your children make. So going back to the first one and talking about this notion between guilt and shame. Do they attribute a lot of things that happen or don't go according to plan as them being failures rather than a than in that situation they made a poor choice or they wish they'd done something differently do they use a lot of critical language about themselves in terms of their character and their personality do they use a lot of critical language around themselves in terms of how they physically look is there a great deal of comparison with others? And so that comparison comes and so they then make commentary about themselves not being as good as others. Or it, it's all of this notion that the language that they use is predominantly critical, self-critical rather than positive. So they're not able to see the qualities that they possess that make them lovable friendable you know kind trustworthy loyal all of those aspects of the personality that makes them someone that other people want to be friends with are they actually using lots of language around them being not good enough and that might be in terms of their personality but it's it's often and in fact actually it's you know I was about to say it's often around the way they look but it actually and this is where you know I'm used as part of teams is that there's so much that is under the surface around how they feel about themselves and nothing to do with their, their relationship with food. Food is simply a mechanism. If, you know, I'm, I'm stressing this a lot because that is so important. Fundamentally, underneath all of this, is a child who doesn't feel that they are enough. And so that they have stumbled upon other mechanisms and other ways to feel that they have some element of control over this overwhelm and this worry and this anxiety and this stress that they feel and this comparison they have with others and food end up ends up becoming that particular product so it's are they using lots of self critical language so let's just recap on these top 6 um so it's how confident is your child do they have a real inner self belief that they are a likable lovable decent human being or do they use lots of language to say that they're actually not good enough? Are they secretive about their food consumption, whether that's eating in their room, hiding things that they eat, or whether it's much more to do with finding it really difficult to eat in public or with other people? Are they perfectionists? Do they set a benchmark for themselves that is this one that they've created, doesn't come from an academic benchmark doesn't come from a parental benchmark doesn't even come from a societal or friendship benchmark but one that they have created that they always have to achieve and quite often with perfectionism that benchmark changes constantly the the ante gets upped the bar gets moved constantly so are they a child that worries about things do they find you know are they overly stressed do they get overwhelmed by situations are they overly worried about the way they look does that become a huge part of their concern about leaving the door or leaving the door as in leaving home or going out is that there's a there's a preoccupation with how they look either the way that they you know the way they look in terms of what they wear or the way they look in terms of physical aspects and attributes of their body and do they use critical language a lot about themselves about the way they look around their body about their attributes and then the seventh one and this is always as you would expect from me, it's a reflective piece. Now, this does not mean that if your relationship with food isn't great, that that is automatically going to mean that your child has disordered thinking around food, but the last one is, what is your relationship with food, and what are you modelling to your children? So this is, you know, and again, as, as you all know, who those of you who've been listening to me for a while, I'm saying this with love, but ultimately, If we don't have a great relationship with food, whatever that might be, our children are going to pick up on that because our children are much more likely to do what they see than what we say. So if we make remarks about our bodies, if we make a remark about the way that we look or our personality, and that we attribute some sort of commentary around that relationship, then our children are going to be picking up that actually being lovable. Being liked, being accepted has some relationship with the way that they look. And that is really, really key because obviously, what we want to do is create a healthy relationship. Food is a way that we nourish ourselves, it's a way that we help our bodies become vital. You have this vitality and this energy and this robustness and this strength and this dynamicism. But if our language is very much focused around, Food being an enemy in some ways or something that we have to control because it has an impact on how we feel about ourselves our emotions and how we look and how we look affects how we feel about ourselves then we're modeling a poor relationship with our with our children and it's really key that we do that now that is not to say that children with eating disorders have a parent that does not have a good relationship with food that absolutely there is no link What I'm simply saying is it's really important when we're talking about our children having inner confidence, inner self-belief, knowing that they're enough, not using critical language, not worrying about the way that they look. It comes from us modelling that so that if we can make sure that we take care of those aspects so that we can reduce and minimise that bit. Now, that doesn't mean that your child isn't then still going to not feel particularly confident about themselves or is maybe going to be anxious. And that they may well then still develop an eating disorder from those aspects of it. But if we can make sure that at the foundation level, we're creating an environment at home where the values and the language that we use around food and us as individuals is not around how we look and that food being used as a mechanism to control, then that will have a huge impact on our children just accepting themselves for who they are. So let me recap those seven. So it is how confident is your child? If you have a child who is not very confident, who uses a lot of shame language and attributes themselves as not being good enough, then that may be an indicator. If your child is secretive about their food consumption, if they are eating it in their rooms and sneaking aspects of certain food and not telling you or is not happy about having food and consuming it in an environment where you all sit together, that might also be an indicator. Are they a perfectionist? Do they actively and constantly seek to be at a certain level that they set that is always a benchmark and that they're constantly having to aim higher and higher each time? then that might also be an indicator. Do you have a child who worries? Do you have a child who finds it really difficult to manage stress particularly well, or often finds lots of situations particularly stressful? That might also add, and it's almost like these little ingredients are all added into a mixture. Do you have a child that's overly worried about the way they look, that that becomes a real feature of the language that they use and the the conversations that they have are very overly focused on the way that they look? either. terms of their physical their attributes their hair their eyes their face but also about physical physical aspects of their body do they use lots of self-critical language and in fact you find that they probably use more self-critical language than they do positive language again that might be another ingredient and then this relationship what relationship are you modeling and might that also be feeding into some of these other aspects around their confidence and their relationship with food and their critical language and their perfectionism now my give this week is going to be these this checklist of these seven but we are also going to include some link the link to beat eating disorders which is going to give you some very specific information about the different types of eating disorders and some of the signs that might be associated with those specific eating disorders. So if you are worried having listened to this about your child, that you can then go and have a look at that. If you want the checklist and the link, then as usual, you head over to my free resource library, drmaryhan.com forward slash library, where you'll find the link to download the resource. All you need to do is pop in your email address and you'll get instant access not only to this week's resource but all the other free resources across all my other podcast episodes. Now remember there is going to be a part two to this so it is really important if you've listened to this and you've got some concerns or questions or anything that you want me to cover in part two or maybe we might even need a part three then I'm happy to do that but please, please do reach out. It's contact at drmaryhan.com. As ever, if you have enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow and review this podcast so that others can find us and we can spread the love. So, until next time.